Good morning, everyone. Pro tip when you are preparing a sermon, you want to choose very long gospel passages. This does two things. One, it takes the burden off of you and puts most of the burden on John and Luke, which is a very, very good thing. And two, it gets everyone a leg exercise on a Sunday morning. And so I think overall it's the right thing to do. So thank you for standing for that entire time to listen to those two relatively long gospel passages. So kids, I have a question for you that I think you're going to enjoy talking about if you're anything like me. So hopefully you will enjoy this. So when you're really hungry, what is the food that's top of mind? The food that you think of most when you're really hungry? Oh man, I wish I could have this. Does anybody have a food that is their favorite when they're really hungry? I know we do, yes. But what about the children? Any kid have a favorite food? That food that comes to your mind when you're really, really hungry? Yes. Chocolate pancakes. Wow, strong move. I'm going to the barn's house later. Yes. Salad. Wow, better person than I am. Yes. Corn dogs. That's more up my alley. I appreciate that. That's very good. All right, so let me ask you a question. When you celebrate a birthday... Who can tell me a food that seems to always be present when you celebrate a birthday? Yes. Cake. Who here enjoys cake? All right, good. We would have to have some questions with you after church if you didn't raise your hand that you'd enjoyed cake. So today we're actually going to be talking about food, um, us adults, and that's because Jesus in the passage in John, actually compares himself. He actually, when he is telling the people who are around him who he is, he says, I am the bread of life. And we're going to unpack that a bit. And I I think you know this intuitively, kids, that food is really important. When we gather to celebrate, especially if you're from a big Italian family like me, the idea of gathering around a table to celebrate over a meal is so interwoven into our culture that you you recognize it's important. I bet you guys have a birthday dinner, I would imagine. It's your birthday. Mom and dad say, well, what do you want for your birthday dinner? And it's because food really is not simply this thing that sustains us to move from point A to point B, right? Because we are human beings. So we're going to be talking about food today uh, and, and especially this spiritual food that Christ is the bread of life. So I believe you have activity sheets to work on, but you can listen along as well. So we're beginning a new sermon series today, and it'll last for Eastertide. For the next six weeks, we're doing a sermon series on the I am statements of Jesus. And the astute scholars out there might say, six-week sermon series, but there are seven I am statements. Yes, well, we're going to combine two for one week. Ford's on top of it, fear not. So um, the I am statements of Jesus... This is especially important in the season of Easter because Jesus goes around telling people who he is. He says, I'm going to die. I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to rise up. Now, we've just celebrated Easter. If a person walks around and says, I'm going to die, but I will not stay dead. And in fact, three days, I'm going to raise up again. We should try to listen to everything he says, because that's pretty crucial and pretty important. And these I am statements are incredibly rich in our understanding of who Jesus is. And especially during this season, Easter, as it has been said that of Christians, we are an Easter people. 
and Alleluia is our song. And so as we dive in to learn a little bit more about uh, Jesus' statement that I am the bread of life, keep in mind that this is helping us to grow closer with Christ in this season of Easter. And it's a very important thing for us to know this person, the second person of the Trinity who has set us free. So this first I am statement, John 6, we heard that uh, Jesus is the bread of life. So what's happening in John 6 around the context of this statement where he goes into this? John 6 is a very complex chapter of the gospel. If you know anything about John, John um, writes uh, mostly different stories or different angles of stories in the gospels. In fact, theologians split the gospels into two groups. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels because most of what each of them talks about can be found in another gospel. A lot of parallel passages. John sits alone as the non-synoptic gospel. So John is this only one where there aren't nearly as many parallel passages. And there are a lot of really complex and beautiful things in John. John is heavily focused on signs. So um, Christ is not simply working miracles in John. They are miraculous, but these, these miraculous things he's doing are always in John signs which point to something beyond them. So you might think of his first sign in the Gospel of John, the wedding at Cana. We remember that Christ turns water into wine. And that is not only a miracle which has very real impact on the people at the wedding, but it is also something pointing to something else, right? So that same thing has just happened in John 6 before we get to this passage. It is the feeding of the the multitudes. So Christ feeds thousands of people by dividing the bread and the fish and dividing it and multiplying it so that everybody can eat and have their fill. And that's a sign. It's important in Johannine theology, as you see what John is writing, that it's never just an articulation of the thing that's happening, but it's pointing to something else. Luckily, In John 6, he pretty quickly jumps on and tells us exactly what it is that sign was pointing to. And it's him. So it goes from this feeding of the multitude to this passage that I am the bread of life. And so why bread? Well, Jesus tells us uh, bread is pretty important, especially this idea of bread, miraculous bread from heaven. He recalls to the Jewish people that would have been pretty important, this manna, which sustained them in the wilderness. Right now, what does Jesus do in this John six passage? He says that that food that I gave to my people, that was from my father, directly from heaven. And he has done that again. He is doing that again. And what is he referring to? He is the manna. Now, what's interesting about What Christ goes on to say in John is that uh, we'll we'll look at verses verses 52 through 58. So he's just said, I am the bread of life. You have hungered for a long time. I am the bread that will keep you from hungering anymore. And this is starting to get confusing. And then he starts to say, you'll have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the Jewish uh, leaders around him are growing from just confused to getting a bit angry about what it is he's talking about. It doesn't make any sense. And let's, let's look at verses 52 in John chapter 6 through 58. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Jesus is clearly tied together. This idea of manna, this idea of sustenance to himself, that his body and blood will be the bread of life that sustains us. For all eternity. And so let's let's focus in a little bit on this idea of eating. Uh, That's pretty crucial to the entirety of the scriptures. In fact, I think uh, some might be prone to overly spiritualize uh, the early portions of Genesis. But it seems very clear in Genesis chapter three that we could try to over spiritualize it or analyze it or look at it like as a as a big overarching myth. But what literally happens in Genesis chapter 3 is that human beings fall by what? By eating, correct? So from the very beginning, God says, you can eat whatever you want except for this thing. Then they eat that thing and they usher in original sin to all of their descendants. Right? Eating is a very important thing. And I think it's pretty clear in the reading of Genesis 3 that that wasn't mere fruit, that it might have looked like fruit, it might have tasted like fruit, it might have smelled like fruit, but it couldn't have been merely fruit, right? Because God says the day you eat of the fruit of this tree, you'll surely die. They eat of the fruit of the tree and they die this very, very clear spiritual death. There's something more to that fruit than just fruit. You see that throughout much of scripture, and I think we know it intuitively. We, we understand things culturally like comfort food. Who has ever enjoyed a comfort meal? When you've had a hard day, things are really difficult, you need some comfort food. We have terms like soul food. Th- these, these things that sustain us, yes, they provide sustenance, but there's more to it than that. In fact, we do most of our celebrating, gathering, laughing, mourning over food. It, the, the images in the scriptures are pretty clear that what's being prepared for us is a feast. We sing a song here very often that the thing we look forward to is that we will feast in the house of Zion. Food is something very important. It's in there in Genesis 3. It's in, in Revelation when we look to the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We feast together for all eternity. And I think it is important for us to see that the whole of Scripture is what Jesus is working from here. So Jesus, when he interprets Scripture in the Old Testament, he seems to do so typologically. That's why St. Augustine says that the Old Testament is revealed in the New and the New Testament is concealed in the Old. It is all telling one story. So as humans fall... By nature of eating something, that's not just mere food. So too, we then get to live by eating something 
that's not just mere food. Because the scriptures work together cohesively and Christ is is pointing us back to that. And I think the way that we see that most clearly is in the road to Emmaus story in Luke 24. So Jesus in Luke 6 has said, I am the bread of life. If you have me, you'll never hunger again. And in fact, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall have eternal life. Okay, it's pretty clear in that text. How do we see this play out practically? We have this passage, the road to Emmaus story in Luke 24. So to set the scene, it's after the resurrection, right? And we know that there are two disciples who are walking and uh, Jesus approaches them. An interesting tidbit, the road to Emmaus is in many ways the guide to almost all liturgy for a Sunday worship service. Okay, so think about it this way. Uh, Jesus approaches them on the road. That's what begins this service. What do we see every Sunday? We see an acolyte processing in. Christ approaches. The cross is brought to the altar. Then what do we do? We have this, this conversation over the word, the ministry of the word. It's exactly what Jesus does, right? As he's walking with them, he opens the books of the Old Testament from Moses forward and says all he teaches them all of these great things. And that's precisely what's happening here in this road to Emmaus story. So he, the, the most important aspect of what's happening here, though, which I think helps us make sense of John chapter 6, of Exodus 16, of Genesis 3, of all of it, is the end of the story. So Christ himself, the risen Lord, is there, and we see two disciples. And one disciple says, have you not heard? How are you the only person that's not heard? And we can see this person has some faith because they clearly longed for Christ to be the Messiah. They longed for Christ to be the the one that would set Israel free. But then the way he starts speaking is in past tense. You can see that his faith is a bit shaken. And we should give him some, some, some grace there because the person who he had put all his hope in is now dead. To him is dead. So that hope must have been misplaced. But he still speaks very highly of Jesus. He says he's this, he was this great prophet. He's speaking in past tense. Jesus of Nazareth was this great prophet. And he starts to talk to him. And what is Jesus' response? So they share all that's happened. And look at Luke 24, verse 25. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So these men, we don't know if both of them are men. We know one is the other. Some scholars think the other is is, uh, Cleopas's wife. Um, So they're walking. There's two of these disciples. They tell all that's happened. Man, there was this great prophet, this great man. He was wonderful. We loved to follow him. All these past tense things. And he says, oh, foolish ones and slow, slow to believe. They're slow of heart. Don't you know what the, the scriptures say? And then Jesus himself in resurrected form, verse 27, begins with Moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. That the entirety of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And the resurrected Christ himself is the teacher who teaches them all of this. 
that yes, just by eating all humans are ushered into sin and death, so too we have access to life by eating, which is also promised in Genesis that there is the, the fruit of the tree of life. And Christ has now brought that to us as the bread of life. But what's fascinating here is they still don't get it. Now that, as a teacher, gives me a lot of joy. That it can't just be me if your students don't get it when you're teaching something. It can't all just be on me. Well, how could I possibly know that? Because the resurrected Christ himself teaches them the entirety of the Old Testament concerning himself, and they still don't quite get it. That is very, very heartening, very, very good. So what ends up happening? Well, let's look in verse 28 and beyond. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So we went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven who were there with them and gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They then told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He teaches them the entirety of the Old Testament, how all of it points to him. And their hearts burn with excitement. They want to know more. And what is the key for them to finally have that shadow, that veil fall before their eyes? Is when Christ himself sits at the table, takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. The bread of life. That is the thing we get to experience Every week. That is why all of the worship service, all of the liturgy points to this moment, the pinnacle of the service. Because I can stand up here and teach and I can point you to the scriptures and it is hopefully illuminating and inspiring and pulling you into this place of joy. But what really sets that right is when we come to the table because Christ is made known to us in the breaking of the bread. I think it is easy for some to just assume that when Christ says, I am the bread of life, he is making an analogy. But that doesn't seem to stick with the entirety of the scriptures. Because in Genesis 3, I don't think it's merely an analogy. Original sin really is ushered in by the eating of the fruit. And I don't think this is merely an analogy either. We get to come weekly, hear the ministry of the word, the preaching of God's word, Then we get to approach the table and in a few minutes, Ford will stand up here and he will bless the bread and the wine. And he will ask the Lord to sanctify it, to make it uh, for us, this spiritual food, his most precious body and blood. And then we will come before the altar. We will kneel and someone will hand you a piece of bread and say, this is Christ's body broken for you and hand you the cup. This is Christ's blood broken 
shed for you. And may it be that we recognize we get weekly sustenance from the bread of life when he is made known to us in the breaking of the bread as we approach the table. So come to the table today where Christ is really present. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the grace in the sacrament of your Holy Eucharist. Father, we pray that we would be sustained by the bread of life that gives us this beautiful grace that is a gift from you to to live this life, to understand you more, to know you well, uh, to be formed by you, to be made more into the image and likeness of your son. Thank you for this powerful gift of John chapter 6, of of Luke 24. Father, I pray today that you would be made known to us in the breaking of the bread and that you would be glorified and that we would be sanctified. It's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.